seat yourselves, men and women of planet Earth. Come as you are, from work, from taverns, from study, science hall, and all that exists. Come all who are weary of their status quo, bored, hungry, unsatisfied. Join us today at Conscious Speaks. Hello, everybody. It's Kelly J, host of Conscious Speaks. Today, we have an amazing audio healing experience to create with you. Spirit led all the way from Linwood, Washington, our home, the Pacific Northwest. Part two of Stephen Greenbaum, One Family, Indivisible, a spiritual memoir. And uh, we are going to uh, dive right in. And so what I'd like to do is invite you all to take a, a slow, conscious breath in with me. And then a soft exhale out. And let's all give a warm, conscious welcome to Mr. Stephen Greenbaum. Welcome to the studio, Stephen. Oh, thank you, Kelly J. It's lovely to be with you again. <laughs> it is lovely to be with you again, as we were speaking about before the show, though. I have been with you all week and the week prior um, because of this amazing book that I went slow and just really took the time to dive into. So thank you for coming back to do a second show with me and with the audience here at Conscious Speaks. Well, it is, it is my privilege and pleasure. Thank you for inviting me back. <laughs> You're you welcome. You listened to me once and you still invited me back. This is lovely. <laughs> yes, yes. When I get a, a tug from my soul strand, you know, really, really, when it comes to spiritual work, I really, it's my, it's my calling and my uh, divine delight to, to speak with others who are called. And so I really open up those doorways when I feel that connection. And to everyone out there listening today, um, you know, I'm going to let you know a little bit about the author, Stephen Greenbaum, our guest today. He has directed church, synagogue, and UU Choir for many years before leaving to found the Living Interfaith Church. Um, anchored by the faith of interfaith, he has published numerous articles in two books, The Interfaith Alternative and The Practical Interfaith, uh, which I'm pretty sure, this is a little caveat, that I'll be having Stephen on Again, the show to talk about when I read those books, if he'll do me the honor. And um, it, those books are about his unshakable belief that the world's religion, the world's religions, can find harmony and abiding love as they embrace their diversity. And, in a, and it's such a perfect time for, you know, the world to always open up a little bit further. And in, with the, the way that everything is right now, I look at it as the precipice of change, that big chaos, you know, that happens before everything kind of blooms into peace again. And so I'm really happy uh, that Interfaith found its way to me and to, to everyone out there listening. This book, uh, Stephen Greenbaum, One Family Indivisible, A Spiritual Memoir, is a beautiful book a story from the heart, from childhood forward, of one man's life journey, and really who was given a directive to create something so amazing for all of us. So um, um, get ready. We're going to have a great conversation. Uh, just to let you know out there, listeners, um, if you're just tuning in or just a recap, last week we talked about Stephen. We talked about his life growing up, and we talked about um, his life as how he learned through his parents um, how to use his voice and how he learned through his voice how to use his brain and his heart. We also listened to a directive that he was given from from whom he found out later and approved that it was from God that, you know, said, they're killing in my name. Stop it. And as a young child, didn't really quite know what to do with it, had a conversation with God, didn't get an answer, tucked it away. And so um, we talked about 
a lot of things that were near and dear to his heart and journey growing up. But one part that we are moving into in the second part of the show is really what comes in any journey, which is, um, you know, the, the tragedy. And it, we didn't want to leave um, those out because they're really what propels us forward and really what um, what became, well, I'll let Stephen talk about it, the, the, the really awakening part of his journey. So, Stephen, I wanted to inter- introduce you um, into showing a way to talk about it. I didn't want to guide it, but maybe if you could talk about the losses that you've had in your life with your father, your mother, with falling in love and, um, and how that from your heart, how you'd like to share it. Oh, well, it's, uh, it's a hard one, but I'll, I'll do my best. Okay. Uh, the, every life has, as, as you were saying, every life has some, has tragedy as well as success and, the key, I suppose, is making sure that the tragedy doesn't keep us down. But on the other hand, what I hope to do is is to learn a little bit from it. Uh, the first, there are really three, uh, well, really two tragedies that propelled me. Uh, one uh, was the death of my of my mom. Uh, and as we talked about last week, she was the person who guided me uh, forward from the difficulties of uh, of dealing with the Holocaust and as a Jew, what well, how to how to process what had happened. Uh, my mother was this wonderful person who, unfortunately, from my perspective at least, was born at one generation too early. She. She was a liberated woman at a time when there was no such thing in her mind as a liberated woman, and so she suffered from patriarchy. And the thing that really galled me was that she finally got divorced from my father. It wasn't my father was an evil man, but my father was a dedicated believer in patriarchy, and my mom decided that she had to move away from that, and she just as she realized that she was a, a valuable human being, just as she understood what she might be able to do, cancer killed her. Uh, and for me, this was one of these things, well, good grief, you talk about a just world, a just God, what, how do you process someone who just, just opened up, just became her own person and, and dies, and that, that threw me. The other one that I'm pretty sure you're talking about is when I I met the woman of my dreams. Yes. Uh, and to my shock and awe, I ended up being the man of her dreams, mm-hmm. which <laughs> totally <laughs> amazed me that this was even possible. Oh, I love the story and, in the book. And she <laughs> uh, was one of these people who knew where she wanted to go. She and I talked about how we would move forward. Uh it was she introduced me to a different side of Catholicism because she was a practicing Catholic, but she had no problems falling in love with a practicing Jew. And the mm-hmm. two of us worked that out, and we understood that I respected her approach to religion. She respected mine, and we both realized that the two of us were centered on love and justice in the world even though we came at it from different directions. And that was beautiful, and I thought, oh, my gosh, this is 
this is the person I'm going to spend the rest of my life with. And then she was killed in a traffic accident. And uh, that just threw me completely. I, it took me years to get past that. Uh, not even to get past it is probably the wrong word. Mm-hmm. To be able to deal with it and to be able to say, okay, I still have a life I have to live. And I think what you're pointing to is, and if I'm not, feel free to jump in, <laughs> but I think what you were pointing to was the, the last one, which was not really a tragedy, but it was it's something that bothered me. My father and my father and I were d- disagreed about patriarchy from the first time I could understand what he was doing and he and I went different directions but he was my father I still loved him and I was his son he still loved me even though we had problems uh and then when he died and I began just wondering what if if there's if there's a god and I've been struggling with that question ever since I had that strange experience as a as mm-hmm. a child of if there's a God, of there's a plan, I don't see it. There's justice in the world, I don't see it. I, I need answers. I want answers. Uh, give me five minutes. Uh, do with me what you will afterwards, but give me five <laughs> minutes and give me some flaming answers. Right. And then uh, what happened about five, six months later, after my ranting about this over and over again, is I had this voice that I had heard when I was a child, as which you referred to, that had said, they are killing each other in my name, stop it. Mm-hmm. And I had given up on that and at least given up on getting any help. And then suddenly that same voice was back saying, get, get a pen, get some paper, and write. And I took dictation, uh, which totally blew my mind. It's one thing to ask for help. <laughs> It's another to get it, and when you ask for advice, that's sort of a freebie. But once you get it, then you've got to figure out what to do with it. Yeah. And the first thing out of the box, uh, which really set me on the course that I've been on the last 20 years, because this happened almost exactly 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. Uh, the first thing out of the box of this dictation that I received was, religion is a language. For speaking to me, do you think that arbol, which is Spanish for tree, do you think that arbol is somehow better than tree? And this I love. Is Old English a false language because you no longer speak it? Mm-hmm. And the answer, of course, is no. Right. It, it, the fact that we don't speak Old English anymore doesn't make Old English a false language, right. which if we now use that in terms of religion, uh, religion is a language for speaking to and about the sacred, then the fact that there's a language we no longer speak or a religion we no longer practice doesn't make it a false religion. It's simply the religion that we no longer speak. Mm-hmm. And the question that it only took me 10 years of pondering <laughs> to get there, but the question became, okay, what do you say in your language? That's what's crucial. And what's clear to me 
is, you know, after studying it for 10 years, but that people have written great works of art and think profound works in every language. And they have written uh, profanities, obscenities in every language, pornography in every language. So it's the language you use doesn't guarantee that you're going to be writing great works of literature or pornography. And the, the religion that we practice doesn't guarantee that we'll be loving, caring human beings or ended up being bigots and hateful. The question is, what do we do with our religion? How do we practice our religion? Or the way I prefer to speak to it, our spiritual paths, how do we walk our path? And the question is, are we willing to walk our paths with love and with compassion and with justice? Or are we simply going to sit back and say how just we are while we're acting like bigots? And yeah. that, for me, is the big question. Right. Unfortunately, it's a question we need to ask very carefully today. Right. Well, because it becomes a question of rhetoric. And, and, and when, when we are growing up within a society or a classroom or a first group of caretakers, um, I would like to believe that everyone's doing the best they can as, as you do. So it is a touchy subject to kind of go, can we, can we think about what we're saying and are we being who we believe we are or are we practicing something that we can't feel on the inside? We're only, you know, speaking from, you know, in the middle of our throat, not from our heart. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I was fascinated. I was so excited to get to this part. And I did have to go, uh, I didn't have to go through, I get, I got to read, you know, the part really that broke you open. And I had tears because, you know, when I think about the patriarchy that, you know, you noticed in a young age that your mother would defer to your father all the time and you weren't, and this was so clever of you, you you weren't sure why she did that all the time because you knew she was really clever. (laughs) And so you were, you, you were a little amiss. Um, why does mom always defer to dad? Um, and, uh, and then, you know, the, the love of your life meeting Maria, I'll, I'll just, I have to say it because I want it to be written in time through recorded. It was just so amazing how you were sitting in the restaurant and she was sitting next to you and she asked you to pass the salt shaker <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. you were kind of oblivious at the point, um, you know, and you passed it to her and then you noticed she had a salt shaker in front of her and you just said, well, you have a salt shaker. And she goes, yeah, but yours is better. And I love it because you said, Ice not broken, ice pulverized. And you guys were, bam, immediately drawn to each other. Yeah. And- no, it, was, <laughs> it, 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 was, it was amazing of, you know, I, I, that she would even speak to me. You know, there's, you know, this attractive woman sits down next to me, and I very carefully don't look at her too care, you know. Yeah. Because I don't want to. And then she asked for the salt, and then I, she, you know, and... It was just, okay, uh, let's talk. And this was one of the most incredible uh, human beings I've ever met. And mm-hmm. it was, and that, you know, that's how it started. <laughs> I passed her the salt and, oh. It's just, it's, it's, it's a movie right there in the way that it, it happened. And the way that you both were so on point with 
discussing the differences between your religion. How would it affect your family and friends? If, yeah. You know, when you got to the point where you thought, hey, I want to spend the rest of my life with this person, let's sit down and talk about, let's be real, how are we going to live yeah. through interfaith? You know, and so I, I just wanted to go back and touch on that, you know, and touching on your father and being able to be there for him, even though you had the differences. He's my father. I love him. He's a good man. His life was lived through patriarchy. He lived a good and just life compared to you know, um, in, in that sect, even though you didn't agree with some of the things he gave so much. He did so much. And yeah. you and, and so learning that's to me, that's bridging interfaith as well, because that's almost like a f- different faiths when we can love someone through different levels of loving. And so, yeah. you know, and when we get to the point where, you know, you finally said no more, I need some answers and, you know, get a pen. I heard clearly in my head, get some paper, right? So I got the pen and some paper and then, well, I took dictation. You know, the first, the first dictation, religion is but a language for speaking to me. I, I wept because I agree with you. And I think that that's the one thing I love about interfaith the most is it really shows the humanity of each person, each religion, as it was given in that time to different cultures and people and how they embrace it for love to reach God. Yeah, and this, for me, uh, it goes back to... and when I struggled for what am I going to call this flaming book, <laughs> yeah. uh, and finally settled on one family indivisible, because I mean that's one of the great lessons for me that my father taught me was, I mean he didn't do it on purpose, but it, I still learned it was that you can disagree fundamentally with someone and they can still be a really good person. And even within that your we own are family. One family, <laughs> and that if I could be one family with my father, yes, uh, who is this hardcore, you know, women walk two steps behind and keep their mouths shut and keep the house clean and, and all that stuff that was what he believed in, is, uh, and I didn't. Uh, and yet he still spent uh, quite a bit of his time trying to help other people working with. Uh, uh, disadvantaged kids of someone can disagree with you fundamentally and you can disagree with them fundamentally yes and it doesn't make them or you evil we're still part of the same family yes yes and (laughs) this you know it it gets harder and harder as, as our culture gets more and more coarse but that's really you know when you get back to interfaith that's that's acknowledging that we have all of these different spiritual approaches yeah. because our we're we're different people. Our family has is diverse. Hello, it, it, it's, it, this is a glorious thing. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> yes, and uh, it, what what I loved with as we worked it out, you know, as I, I mentioned in the book, uh, when she and I were talking, it was like, okay, well. Uh, if the kids grow up and they embrace Catholicism, I'll be happy. If the kids grow up and they embrace Judaism, she'll be happy. And if they grow up to embrace something else, eh, we won't be quite as happy, but we'll <laughs> still say okay. Yeah. As long as they understand that what unites us all is love, justice, and compassion. 
And if we can live our lives that way, whatever helps us to live our lives that way is good. It's and whatever so doesn't good. help us to live our lives that way is not good. Right. And it, it's so, so good that if, if it became something just contagious, it would be magnificent because everyone gets... I, I, I talk about this a lot. We can all be the same and still share space. We There's enough resources for everyone. There's enough things for us to do. There's enough money. Um, there's enough time. There's enough space. We could really have fun on planet Earth if we could realize that we could be who we are. And if someone's different, it doesn't diminish us. It doesn't take away from my belief. It doesn't mean I'm wrong. It doesn't mean I'm right for me. You're right for you. And if and, and then, you know, kind of stick to your circles of likeness, but be open to mingle, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's really cool because I it was a couple of Christmases ago. I I I did a a download and a video that I checked in on Facebook, but it was talking about um Christmas is a language. Mm. And it talks about how we all learn to speak different languages and when we travel, we want to go practice a little French or fra- you know, we practice, you know, a little yeah. Spanish, but but can we take it past that? Can we open it up to our hearts? Can we learn that you know, love is the language. And so I really connect to, to what, um, the, that download you were giving that you were given. And there was another, um, uh, there's another one in here. And, you know, I want to bring this up because this is the first one you spoke to me. So it reminds me, uh, that it's important. And, um, there is another directive and it says the mind is not the soul, nor is the body. Sometimes the mind decays or the body rises with pain before the soul has left it, that is indeed a tragedy. Weep, but do not despair. Yes. Uh, Well, that was what floored me in the sense that this was the answer to the question that I had been asking, Mm -hmm. and it came halfway through the dictation. (laughs) But yes, weep, but do not despair. This, uh, when faced with tragedy, when faced with with difficulty and this was if you will i mean i hate to put it in exactly these terms but it was like it's yes you have permission weep it you should be you should be sad weep but do not despair and this for me was was something that at a time of tragedy i could truly hold on to and it 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 was a life preserver for me Right, because what it does is it allows you, which you've spoke about in the book, um, it allows you to feel yeah. instead of having to keep, you know, lacing up the bootstraps, moving forward, going on. You get to put on this coat of reflection and be there with it and feel it, but don't despair. Yeah. Right. There's a difference in, in knowing that difference is really what what sparked that revolution for you. And and that's how. That's how interfaith will probably be, you know, sparked, too, because the sooner that people start hearing about this slowly or quickly, they'll realize that it's okay that you can, you know, we could share this country. It's one family indivisible. Stay with us, listeners. We're going to come back and we're going to take a short break and then we're going to come back and we're going to talk to Stephen some more. And um, yeah, hang on. Okay. Okay. Shake 
Do you remember the first moment you learned about the things that divide us? Race or religion or gender? In One Family Indivisible, Stephen Greenbaum shares his life story through the prism of spirituality. Throughout our lives, we learn a multitude of lessons from a multitude of different experiences, and each lesson shapes us. Greenbaum remembers the moment in his childhood when, as a young Jew, he first understood the Holocaust. He remembers falling out with his father over patriarchy. He remembers the grief of losing far too many loved ones, and he remembers questioning God. His spiritual crisis led to a revelation. There is no inherently right right or wrong spiritual tradition. What counts are not our beliefs, but what we do with them. This moment of understanding spurred him towards a new faith, inner faith. In One Family Indivisible, Stephen Greenbaum's memoir catalogs a life spent working to break through the door to mutual respect. A powerful story for people of all religions, races, and creeds. Pick up your copy today at Amazon.com. An alternative to everything else on your radio dial. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back, everyone, to talk, to Alternative Talk 1150 AM KKNW. This is Conscious Speaks, and we are live every Thursday with Kelly J. That's me. And if you are just joining the conversation, we are talking with Stephen Greenbaum, and we are talking about his amazing book. It's uh, One Family Indivisible, a spiritual memoir, a true spiritual memoir that leads to the founding of a faith called Interfaith. Welcome back to the show. Welcome, Stephen. Thank you so much, Kelly J. It's lovely to be here. I'm enjoying chatting with you. I'm enjoying chatting with you so much, too. Listeners, um, we are in the second part of a two-part show, and we are talking about... Stephen Greenbaum's life journey and really what his calling in life led to through this beautiful um, walking forward into the birthing of what is interfaith. And it's interesting because I've learned through reading this book that it's really a qualifier for anyone out there. If you have something on your heart, be with yourself, be with who you are, grow slowly and keep faith, keep walking forward. You know, as Stephen says, if one door closes, find another one to kick open. <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Because I, it's the journey. It's the journey that creates the destination. It's not a truly a destination because, as you know, even when you kept trying to control and, and write the, the slowing down part of your journey, yeah. it would change. You're like, okay, I'm not in control. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, yeah, the thing is, you you keep kicking open doors, and you keep, oh, this is where I am, okay. And uh, sometimes it's exactly where you thought you were going to be, and sometimes it's completely where you didn't think you were going to be. True, true that. It makes me think of something I want to ask you, you can yes. share with the audience. There, There's times in here where you're talking about um, you saw the flag, but you didn't pay attention, and... And so, you know, when and you talk near the end of the book about learning to listen to your mind and your heart, um, but how to use them, you know, to to make good decisions. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, could you give me a little more help? I'm I'm <laughs> I, I'm I'm not sure where. No worries. I brought you in um, to something that started in my mind, right? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Whenever we have conversations, we're always starting in our mind, and then we 
We bring other people into them. So we were talking about there. Well, not we, but you and I in the books. I was reading it with you um, in my mind, reading mm-hmm. your reading your story. That when sometimes like there was like it like when you went back to the choir at EU, you and you were going to leave, but you ended up staying for yep. that extra year. And you said something in your stomach, you know, told you, but but there was something that your but your mind overrode your heart. And yep. to, to me, it's not so much about the story of what you were overriding or what happened, but it's more about learning to listen to your heart, if that yeah. makes sense. Well, and and I, for me at least, it's listening to both. Uh, if I just listen to my heart, uh, I, I don't think it's as helpful as remembering that my mind is part of, of, of who I am as well. I'm trying to listen to both, but in the case that you're talking about, my mind said, oh, I need to do this. My heart said, there are problems here. Open your eyes. And I ignored my heart completely, and this is not helpful. Uh, the heart, most of the time, the heart's pretty smart. Uh, <laughs> of, and if we can, at least for me, if we can listen to our heart and not to the exclusion of our mind, but so that mind and heart can be part of the same of the same person. I mean, and it's it's almost. I mean, and I I mean that literally because it's almost as if sometimes the mind wants to go one way and the heart wants to go the other, and uh, it might be time for a little negotiation. Mm. Uh, <laughs> but but if you have. For, at least for me, if I have to decide between one or the other, uh, I think I have at last learned to go with my heart. It, yeah, and it, it's so apparent because every time, every time it, you went back to your directive, which I think we can only hear those through the heart. I might be wrong, but yeah. that, that's my belief that we hear that through the heart. And, and, when, and, and so when you were writing even the directives, um, one of the things that became clear to you, it said, so much became clear to me once I truly understood the implications of religion being a language rather yeah. than a repository of sacred rules. That's a simple sentence, but the truth of it is that it took me nearly 10 years truly to understand and internalize those implications. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of language, and you have spoke about it in the book a couple times. And what I like is the nuances of really when we are able to see what I think, what I'm saying, what I believe might be a couple different things, and that's the same for everyone. Yeah. Uh, no, it's it's a basic it's a basic truth, but it's something we can either as a society or just if we only think of ourselves tend to ignore. Right, and that's why if we go back to listening to the heart, but like you said, checking in with the mind. Yeah. If we can take that pause, right, then we can have a little bit more space mm-hmm. to make that love-based choice. Absolutely. And, and, and language it is all, but it's also, as you said, you know, is old English wrong because we don't use it anymore? No, it's the basis of all. Yeah. Just, yeah. <laughs> just. Um, I read. I, I was doing some research once um, on the golden rules or the the Ten Commandments, and mm-hmm. um, and I came upon something, and I can't remember what 
where it was, but they said that, you know, the Ten Commandments were in use before they were ever written down in Abrahamic law. Right. And and I think, okay, I say for me, um, but when we don't take time to really look at what we believe to see what ha- where it came from before, we might lose a chance to really connect to it in a deeper way because everything um, came from something else before. <laughs> well, yes, and, and, and also, and I hate to do this, but I can't remember if we discussed this last week or not, so if I did, just interrupt and say, yes, we did. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but uh, one of the things, you know, we talk about language, Yes. Uh, one of the things that absolutely blew me away as as a teenager was coming upon two friends, one Christian, one Jewish, arguing about the golden rule. Did we talk about this? No, go ahead, share, please, yes. Okay, because it, it absolutely blew me away, because I my Christian friend was saying, and actually they weren't, they were friendly acquaintances, but my, my the Christian friend was saying, you Jews, you're all negative, Uh what you say is, do not do to others that which is distasteful to you. And that's so negative. Why can't you be positive like we are, like good Christians? Do unto others as you would have others do unto you. And then my Jewish friendly acquaintance said, ah, you Christians, you're all alike. Uh, all you want is what you, is what you want. You want to do unto others so they'll do unto you. Uh, we Jews have it right. It's you know, don't do to others those that which is distasteful to you. Right. And I made the mistake of trying to step in between and say, "Hey guys, don't you understand? You're talking about the same thing." Right. And uh, neither one of them wanted me wanted to hear that, and I quickly retreated and I left the conversation. <laughs> but what blew my mind is how much energy and emotion was in this we're right, you're wrong, over essentially the same idea, Yeah, oh, phrased slightly differently. Yeah, I'm going to jump into a, a part in the book. Um, you're talking later on in the book when you were studying um, at Seattle U, I think, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and I can't remember what paper or class it was, but you were looking at um, uh, it, I'm, let me just go to it. Elohim versus Yahweh. And oh, yeah. So Elohim would be um, the First Testament, right? In or am I getting that wrong? Or in Jewish tradition, well, no, it would Elo- be Elohim. Elohim and Yahweh are, are both in Jewish. Okay. Scripture. Uh, they are usually uh, looked at as essentially the same thing. One, you know, they sort of like Dick and Richard. Right. Uh, but what I tended to find was that Elohim was used for this, for, for a God who was very judgmental and very, uh, and essentially, because this is what I was looking at, something that had bothered me from the time I was a child, which was the idea that Abraham would stand up for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, because if you go back to Genesis, Abraham's told I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah, and Abraham says, no, you can't do that. What if there are good people there? What if there are 50 good people? What if there are 10? So Abraham argues over that, but when Abraham said, you know, God says to Abraham, "Ah, I want your son. Go kill your son for me. Abraham doesn't say anything. He just picks up his son, takes him off uh, to uh, the mountain, and is going to plunge a knife into him. And I went, 
good grief, this is crazy. Uh, and it had bothered me up to the point that I was in, uh, in, at Seattle University in a, in a class looking at exactly this kind of thing and realized that Elohim, and this I went through Jewish, uh, the Torah, the first five books of, of Jewish scripture, Elohim demands that you give your firstborn. Yahweh, or usually translated as the Lord, whereas Elohim is just translated as God, mm-hmm. Yahweh says, no, no, don't give me your son up. That ram over there will be just <laughs> fine. You don't need to sacrifice your son. Right. And I went through Scripture and realized that Yahweh is this loving non-judgmental, uh, be-a-good-person God, and Elohim is this very judgmental... Fire and brimstone. <laughs> yeah, fire and brimstone God. Yeah. And I began to wonder, and of course I'm not old enough to know, I wasn't <laughs> around, around those, you know, several thousand years ago, but it seemed to me like maybe Elohim was the God of the northern tribes and, and Yahweh the God of the southern tribes, and that's just my opinion. I don't know. I, again, I wasn't there. Right, right. But these two very different ways of looking at God. Yeah. One being a vengeful fire and brimstone God, Elohim, and the other being this loving, uh, be gentle with each other, God uh, who is uh, Yahweh. Right. Or, or, and usually translated in English as the Lord. The Lord. Yeah, I was. I loved reading that, and it really, it, it just brought me back. It just opened, it was like, as above, so below. There's always the balancing, there's the opposites. And yeah. I thought, how cool was it that you broke that out in the book, and I was able to connect to that, because, I. and again, it's going back and looking at language. If we yeah. look at the time, if we look at the dictionary, per se, and the vocabulary that everyone was using um, with the with the circumference of their thought patterns or what they were using um, as far as they've advanced in their society, though th- that language fit, everyone was oh, that made sense. And as you yeah. move forward, it changes. As you move forward, it changes. And, sure, but it's still the same thing, right? It's still the same thing. Yeah, and and if I may, one of the things that I was pushing some friends, and finally got the answer from a scholar, because oh, I am not a scholar <laughs> in, in terms of, of, of Hebrew. Uh, one of my favorite uh, uh, prophets is the prophet Micah, and it act with justice, love, it's usually translated as love mercy, and, and act humbly, and walk humbly. And I kept thinking, no, mercy mercy connotes a, a hierarchy. Mercy means I show you mercy because I'm bigger than you are and I'm going to let you live or let you do this. And I wanted to translate it as compassion rather than mercy. Act with justice, love compassion, and walk humbly. So I was asking a scholar who knows ancient you know, Hebrew, and okay, how do we do this? And... The truth of it is you can use the word mercy or you could use the word compassion. It's up to you. Either one could be translated uh, as, the, as what is meant in the, in the Hebrew. Right. So the, the thing that this tells us is, again, we're dealing with language. And one of yes. the things that 
I have a I have a, a minister friend who loves to chuckle, and he says people don't remember that Jesus didn't speak English. I know, <laughs> and he didn't write. <laughs> yeah, and so this idea of quoting Jesus when you're saying Jesus said this, and then you say it in English, no, that's an interpretation. Yeah, it's all interpretation. And this is, I mean, one of the things that I love about Islam is that Muhammad understood this. Uh, and most people who are not Muslim don't know that it is forbidden to translate the Quran. Mm. Uh, you are allowed to make an interpretation, and that's what people call their, quote, translations, unquote. Mm. So if you get a translation, what we would call loosely a translation of the Quran, if you look at it, right. it will be called an interpretation, because it's, it's a realization that any time you take a word in one language yeah. and decide to put it into another language, you're interpreting what was meant. Right. You're in a little bit of trouble, but it's good trouble because you're yeah. trying to understand. It's just like we talked about at the beginning of the show. Like I said, Christmas is a language. Right. When, you know, when we want to go somewhere, we're going to pick up the, you know, the, uh, some listen to some audios or try to pick up some words. We're trying to speak them. It doesn't mean we're going to get it right. Um, we're going to no. mess up, but we're going to get enough of it right that someone's going to head us in the right direction. Well, that's the hope. Yeah, <laughs> that's the hope, right? Is that <laughs> but we... <laughs> again, what, what's beautiful is to remember that when we read uh, and when we read scripture, whether it's Jewish scripture or Christian scripture. When we read it in English, we're reading an interpretation. Yeah, exactly. And I have a friend and a guest that was on the show a while back, Art Drentlaw, and, you know, the original Lord's Prayer was in Aramaic, and mm -hmm. there's it's being dissected, not dissected, it's being um, translated right now. Yeah. Um, so the Lord's Prayer's even been changed. And, you know, and if you look back and you start to really get into this, it be, it can, it doesn't, that's the part where I love about interfaith. It doesn't have to be decisive. It could be the quest of your life to understand the nuances of something so beautiful instead of tragically trying to tear things apart to keep something the same. Right. And, and, and at that point, I'm really going to ask you, can you tell the listeners out there about interfaith? About How, interfaith? Yes. Uh, well, interfaith, and again, there are two ways of looking at interfaith. Interfaith as dialogue, which is beautiful and important, uh, and I'm and there's interfaith as a faith, which is what I'm talking about. But I just the quick caution that because I speak of interfaith as a faith, I'm not denying the importance of interfaith dialogue. Right. This this unfortunate either or syndrome that we have in our culture. So I'm talking about interfaith as a faith, but still having a huge amount of respect for interfaith. Dialogue. All right. Interfaith as a faith says that all of our spiritual paths can lead us to this mountaintop we were talking about, can lead us to the love, the compassion, the justice, and the community. And uh, since we are one family, if you'll excuse the plug, <laughs> if we are one family indivisible, not only is interfaith as a faith beautiful, but it's helpful because we can learn, we can get to know each other. We can learn, oh, wow, you, you, your approach to, to love and compassion takes you up this trail, whereas my approach to love and compassion takes me up this trail. We're still getting to the same place, but we're taking different paths. 
And that's the essence of interfaith, is respecting and honoring our diversity. Uh, understanding that uh, we can stumble in any path, uh, it doesn't mean that every path will get every person to the mountaintop. <laughs> Not going to happen. But, but that all of our paths can point us that direction, and that this idea of there's one right path is is hurtful it's harmful and it it keeps us from really from being the family that we that we were meant to be and that we were created to be that we are one family and to enjoy our diversity and to enjoy the fact and to learn i mean one of the things that i have enjoyed so much as an interfaith minister until I retired just two months ago. Yay! <laughs> Yay! But, but that's beside the point. Uh, one of the things that I've enjoyed as a minister is learning more about the Baha'i faith and how beautiful uh, that is and how important it is, and learning more about Hinduism and learning more about uh, Islam. And I spent a fair amount of time as a choir director in Christian churches, so I've, I've had a pretty good uh, introduction there, but learning more about my brothers and sisters and how and how we approach things a little differently. But the fact that my brothers and sisters uh, are are Hindu and and Buddhist and and pagan and humanist and Christian and Jewish, <laughs> uh, this is a this is a court. This is something to celebrate. Yes, uh, and. It seems to me, and this is for me one of the cornerstones of interfaith, that we are strengthened by our diversity, not weakened. Right, right. That we are bettered by our diversity, not not lessened. I I know when you were talking earlier, I was like, ah, interfaith is destiny. It's it's it it seems like it it's like the Valhalla. You know, it's a place for everyone to to be able to walk around freely to go, oh, I don't have to judge anymore. I'm right. okay. It, it's that simple when we break it down. It doesn't mean that we have to go out and learn everyone else's culture and religion and language, but it would mean that we wouldn't fear it. And that's sure. the biggest start. When we think about language, when we think about words, when we think about you know, how we react when we run to or away from something, mm-hmm. it's all interpersonal. It's all inside. So, you know, once we heal our insides, once we change that love frequency, I love when we're talking about how when we read a word in when I lead my courses, the second transformation it, it uh-huh. is moving from mind-based thinking to heart-based being. And it really yeah. is how you go and you flip the sentence, you flip the switch. Yeah. You're like, this is what it is negative. Now let's look at it and switch it to a love-based version, right? And, yeah, And sure. really get in there like, like you did with mercy. And, or when you read a sentence and you can read it, totally two different ways because you've allowed yourself to expand your mind to go, what would this be like negative and what's it positive? And how am I, how is it affecting me? When we start to break down those barriers, we break open love. Yes. And and that's what interfaith says to me. And even if someone just went to a lecture or picked up one of your books, right? Sure. <laughs> um, you know, sometimes when we make our first touches into things that seem taboo, we do them on our own, and that's the beauty of the internet and um, sure. all these different places for people to start researching. 
oh, what's yoga? What's Baha'i faith? What is interfaith? Or, um, you know, I didn't know that the Lord's Prayer was originally in Aramaic and, you know, (laughs) all those kind of things. So we could start searching and find our own comfort with it before we reach out to to join others or at least just do the work internally. Right. To start inside would be the first step if we're not sure. Well, and building on what you just said, if I were to say interfaith is the only right faith, I would be betraying everything I believe in. Yeah, let me read this. It says, uh, I was beginning to see it as a faith, not interfaith, but interfaith, capital I on that. Yeah. I was still grappling with it and writing as I grappled, but it seemed to me that truly embracing all of our spiritual paths as potentially righteous paths to the sacred involved, well, faith. Religions are languages for speaking to me. He's talking about the quote from God. Mm-hmm. Worship, not the grammar. The more I reflected on it, the more I realized that I now truly took as an article of faith that there is no one right way to approach God or nature or whatever it is we hold sacred. Yes. Yeah, that's that's it was quite that's quite a, a mind opening moment. <laughs> it was but yeah, the, the idea that there is no one right way. And what this also frees us for, if you will, yeah. is if you and I are talking, and I believe there's only one right way, and your way starts making sense, then I'm wrong. Right. Everything I believe is wrong if there's only one right way. But if there isn't only one right way, then... I can listen to what you have to say and what you believe and not feel threatened. Yes, that's the beauty of it. That's yeah. the beauty of it. You know, I would, I would love it if you would uh, tell the listeners out there um, how you self-identify. Well, when, when I self-identify, I will say my faith is interfaith. My spiritual path is Judaism. My tribe is humanity. Yes, yes. It's so beautiful that, that, that you created and were a, a part of all the things that helped manifest this beautiful interfaith um, place for us to go, um, find out more about each other and to open our hearts. Um, it's my first step into hearing about interfaith, and it's so such a part of what I believe and I think many people can connect to out there. And so I'm really excited for your journey. I know that you just retired, but I think you're on another one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, they, they don't seem to stop. Yeah, not for you. <laughs> not for you. I saw, you know, we're reading. This is a spiritual memoir, everyone who's listening out there. And, you know, we got to the point in the journey where, you know, Stephen had some health issues that he fought and came back from stellarly. He um, was able to really, one of the, the key things that sticks out for me in this spiritual memoir is to, you know, really inclusivity and love for all, but also to 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 do what you don't don't just talk about what you want to do. Go out there and get involved in it. And, yeah. and Stephen did. He's done so much um, to work with different people in politics. He's went uh, out for Standing Rock, different things that he's done to be a part of the community to help locally um, in, with climate change. And so he's this book is really amazing to read. There's no way to do it justice in the short amount of time, but I'd like to read um, a little bit. It says, um, what to make of my climbing this mountain? This is at the end of the book. Mm -hmm. I hope you'll remember that a budget is a spiritual document. 
and that when one door closes, another can be kicked open. I hope you'll find comfort in recognizing that whatever our situation, and even if we don't have the cards we want, we always have cards to play. Most especially, I hope you'll not only take to heart that afternoon's dictation, but most especially help to spread the word, gently and always with respect, that we are indeed one family indivisible. For the sake of our children and their children, let this recognition that we are indeed but one family, no matter what our differences, become a rallying cry for the human race. Each of us can make a difference, and together we can make all the difference. May your world be filled with love, and may you help fill the world with love. And that's the end of Stephen's book. I hope that you all go out and buy a copy of One Family Indivisible. Stephen Greenbaum, thank you for joining me and talking to us here at Conscious Speak. Thank you so much. It's been really a joy to be to be talking with you. Mm, wonderful, wonderful. Well, hopefully we'll do it again. Okay, dokie. Thank you. Okay. I'm so blessed again, everybody, to share time and space with everyone who tuned in and late listening through podcasts. Thank you, Alternative Talk Radio, 1150 KKNW, Marilyn Milano, Eric Ryder, our producer and engineer, Don Avery and Larry Mitchell for permission to share rapidly approaching ecstasy in our shows. You can find the CD on Amazon or DonAvery.com. Love wins when we choose love, everyone. And that's a circle. Love and namaste. Kelly J. Thank you for joining us today at Conscious Speaks Radio, a place where we come together each week to discuss the mysteries of life, the light and the dark, the sweet and the salty, the divine mysteries of being human, a place where we mentally hold hands, naturally gravitating to each other through the cosmic airwaves of space and time, knowing like bees to honey and goodness, this is a place to take comfort in the knowing that it is from and through each other that we grow in our greatest leaps and bounds. Remember the first moment you learned about the things that divide us? Race or religion or gender? In One Family Indivisible, Stephen Greenbaum shares his life story through the prism of spirituality. Throughout our lives, we learn a multitude of lessons from a multitude of different experiences, and each lesson shapes us. Greenbaum remembers the moment in his childhood when, as a young Jew, he first understood the Holocaust. He remembers falling out with his father over patriarchy. He remembers the grief of losing far too many loved ones, and he remembers questioning God. His spiritual crisis led to a revelation. There is no inherently right right or wrong spiritual tradition. What counts are not our beliefs, but what we do with them. This moment of understanding spurred him towards a new faith, inner faith. In One Family Indivisible, Stephen Greenbaum's memoir catalogs a life spent working to break through the door to mutual respect. A powerful story for people of all religions, races, and creeds. Pick up your copy today at Amazon.com.